This morning, we're continuing our series, uh, A Better Story, with your favorite teacher, my favorite teacher, Pastor Rachel. Give it up for (laughs) Pastor Rachel. Thanks, guys. Uh, Good morning. Man, what a beautiful day already, and we still have more. Ready? Ready to jump in? Um, My husband has many wonderful gifts, and one of them is he just so happens to be an incredible storyteller. Uh, The details, the twists, and the turns, he can take um, something that might seem ordinary to you and I and turn it into an adventure. It also helps that just like a lot of crazy things happened to him whenever he was uh, growing up. We grew up in the same small town at basically the same time uh, of life, and I'm constantly amazed at his stories and things that happened to him in a way that's like, how did we live such crazy different lives when we were younger? I don't understand. Um, But my kids caught on to this gift of his pretty early, and they started this thing that anytime they were riding in a car with dad, they would ask him, dad, tell us stories about your life. And so he would fascinate them for the entire drive with tales and legends of growing up as Bodie Sanders in Haskell, America. Some of these stories are legend now, and my kids know them by heart. Um, They loved this thing, and they started to ask me any time that we got into a car together for me to tell them stories about my life. And I tried to communicate with them that, you know, Dad has a particular spiritual gift in this area, and you're bound to be disappointed with me, okay? Um, But they could not be deterred. They were ready for a story, and so they pressed on. And so I tried to, I thought for a while, and tried to come up with the best thing that I could think of, and I tried to channel Bodhi and his very like pastor way of telling a story where it's still mostly true, but it's exaggerated. (laughs) It's exaggerated right up into the point of being completely false. Um, And so long story short, I give them my spill and after I finish my story, it's crickets in the car. And my two older kiddos were like, yeah, dad's way better. I was like... (laughs) I told you this, I tried to warn you. Um, But the truth is, just like my kids, we all love a good story. Just take, for example, the 1,000 streaming services that we have to pick from nowadays, all in service of telling us a good story. Something that captures our imagination and takes us somewhere, and our desire is to tell a good story with our life. Something that gives our lives meaning and context and hope And unfortunately, we can get so caught up sometimes in trying to write our own story that we lose our God-given purpose. I heard it said like this one time, and it really stuck with me. Human beings are meaning-making machines. We are desperate for meaning, and we look for it in any way that we can. And it gives us a sort of resilience as well, because if we can place meaning on something, if we can find purpose or write a story around something, it gives us this resilience to walk through some unimaginable things if we can find meaning behind it. And we are constantly searching for meaning in our lives, and we will search for it in any system that will let us find it. And so often in this search, we trade the eternal for the temporary and empty rewards of our own desires. And in this series, we will lay down our story for a better story and be intentional about leaving a legacy of kingdom influence and purpose. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter one, and we'll start in verse 14. You can follow along that way or on cc.guide. Scriptures, talk notes are there. Always, it will be on the screen behind me as well. 
Um, last week, Pastor Matt kicked us off and did a beautiful job in just uh, laying down um, what it looks like to live a better story. And so here's what we need to know. If we're laying down our story for a better one, then what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? What's the center of our story? That's what we want to answer in the coming weeks. I understand it's easy to talk about it here, but what does it look like on a Tuesday afternoon? What does it look like to lay down our story for a better one in our parenting and with our finances? And so we're gonna look at several different angles of this in our lives and kind of break that down. And today we are going to go back to the basics, start with the basics and go back to the foundation and kick off today and talk about the primary message of Jesus. All right, let's read Mark chapter one. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the primary message of Jesus. If you needed to sum it up, this would be a good start. And this is Mark's shorthand telling us, hey man, this is, this is the teaching of Jesus. And we're familiar with this around here. We talk about the kingdom of God all the time here at City Church. Our hope and our desire is to hold the kingdom at the center of every single thing that we do and say here. And we pray that that spills over into all of our individual lives outside of these walls. The good news of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the story of God. All the New Testament authors refer to the message of Jesus as good news. And I know people that I meet with from time to time now these days, they tend to forget that fact. We can get so caught up, so focused on the details of what to do and what not to do, who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out, that we forget. This is good news. If you're so bogged down, if you're weighted down with the details that the message of Jesus does not feel like good news to you, then something is missing. Something is broken in your narrative because it is good news. It's good news because in a world that is marked by chaos and pain, suffering and sickness, Jesus comes onto the scene and says, it's time. It's here. There's a new way of living here and now. Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God, saying this reality has come near. You can grab it. You can touch it. This is the message. This is the invitation. And Jesus comes not only announcing, but demonstrating the reality of God, the story of God, the kingdom of God, and every word that he spoke, every step that he took, every decision that he made. Jesus is our truest example of what it looks like to live a kingdom life. And this is something that we always need to remember. The kingdom of God is not just a line that we say or read about in church. It's not just something that we sing about during worship. The kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Have you ever had a moment with a group of friends? Something happens when you're out and about together and it's just hilarious. You just like can't catch your breath because it's just so funny. The next day you're at work and you're trying to relay this thing that happened to you the night before. You're telling your coworker all that happened. You can barely get through it because you're just like reliving it in your mind and they're looking at you like, I don't really, under, I don't understand. And you try again from a different angle, like you're not fully grasping what happened to me. You're not gonna believe this. And you get about halfway through the story and you're like, you know what? I think you just had to be there, you know? It's like trying to describe a song to someone that's never heard it before. 
You can look and read the lyrics. You can look at the core chart and follow where the notes are going to go. You can talk about the genre of the song, but at some point, you just have to listen to the song. You have to experience it to understand. This is the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. I can tell someone all I want. I can tell them what I have experienced. I can teach them what I know, but at some point, they have to experience it for themselves. And Jesus announced and Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God. Jesus not only said the kingdom is at hand, he demonstrated, he lived it out so that others could experience it as well. The kingdom of God is not just something that we study in our quiet time. We study and we also step in and experience it here and now. It's at hand. It's in reach. We experience it and as we do, we are called to do the same thing that Jesus did. We announce and we demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. It cannot stay within us. The kingdom of God is something that we give away as a gift to the world. It's God's strategy to the world. Jesus gathered a small group of friends and trainees on the hillsides and sent them out to teach the nations. That is, he said, I want you to do the same thing that I have done with you. I want you to make students and apprentices with the eventual objective to bring all of human life under the direction of his wisdom and goodness and power. And in sending out his people, he set afoot a perpetual world revolution, one that is still in process and will continue until God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. And he's chosen to accomplish this with and in part through his students his apprentices, his followers. Those are a few of the words that I would use to describe those of us sitting in this room this morning. Students, apprentices, followers of Jesus. And Dallas Willard says this, he says, this impotence of systems is a main reason why Jesus did not send his students out to start governments or even churches as we know them today which always strongly convey some elements of a human system. They were instead to establish beachheads of his person, word, and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. They were to bring the presence of the kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. They were to bring the presence of the kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. This is still our call today. When he says the kingdom is at hand, repent, turn, and believe, it's an invitation to us. Jesus wants to invite us into a life, not convert us into a religion. But what does that look like? If you're anything like me, all of this kingdom talk, I get fired up like, okay, let's go. Let's take the kingdom and go. Let's knock down some walls. Let's make some difference. Let's go. But Jesus, through stories and parables, gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like to try to help us understand what this is and what it will look like and how it will play out in our everyday lives because he knew, he knew we would try to hijack it with our own ideas and our own agendas because that, that's what we do. 
And so we want to give a picture this morning of what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus told many parables of what the kingdom looks like in his day. I want to focus on two parables this morning found in only three short verses. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 31 through 33 this morning. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast, or like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of God is like a seed and yeast. How many have ever planted a seed before? I mean, plants are all the rage these days. Am I right? Everybody, uh, they're they're everywhere, all right? Plant moms with shirts, the the whole bit. And I love plants. I'm here for it. I love the way they look in in a room. We'll just take a quick poll. How many of you um, have a plant in your house that has a name, that's named? There's a lot less in second service. First service is full of plant moms, okay? So if you're wanting to meet some people, first service is where you're at. Um, I love the plants. I love the way they look in a house, the vibe that they create, um, the warmth that they bring. Um, I have not figured out how to keep them alive, all right? Um, so I, everything that is currently in my house that is green, uh, she fake, all right? <laughs> She ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Um, If you have tips and tricks, if you are a plant mom and you want to give me some wisdom, I really, I honestly do would love to learn. I just um, haven't figured it out yet. And I feel like um, the other four human beings that live in my house, um, they're fed and watered on a regular, semi-regular basis. And so I feel like that, take the win, Rach, take the win and move on. So I don't know a lot, all that to say about um, planting. Um, But here's something that I do know. A seed starts small and grows slow. Starts small and grows slow. The kingdom of God is like a seed. I'm also not a bread maker. Uh, I do love to bake. That's probably my favorite cooking thing to do, but I, I, I don't make bread. I've made banana bread before, but I think that's more of a cake. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that's the only bread that I've ever, ever made. Some of you got into it during the COVID season. It was all the rage. Make your own bread put your bread dough in this like container and watch it like grow into sourdough. I don't even know how that works, but you just let it rot for a while and then it becomes something that you bake into. A lot of you did this during COVID because what else was there to do but to watch our bread rot, okay? Um, I did not do that, um, but that's all the rage. But I know that at the time that Jesus told this parable, you couldn't like just run to Walmart and buy like a box of yeast or a bag of yeast, however yeast comes, I'm not really sure. Um, You could not do that at the time. So common practice was to save a lump of dough from the previous batch and then put it into the next batch and wait and watch while it slowly does its thing and kind of infiltrates into the loaf. And so we have uh, the NIV, the language from the NIV um, that we just read says the woman took and quote mixed um, the, the lump of dough, the word that Jesus used there was crypto, which actually means to hide or conceal. It's where we get our English word cryptic. And so the woman took and hid the dough, the lump of dough in the loaf. 
So we have another word to kind of help us get a more well-rounded picture of what the kingdom is like. Small, slow, hidden. The kingdom of God is like yeast. So Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God happens in things that are small and hidden. The kingdom of God is not something that you can from afar and not really know what exactly is happening and say, yes, oh, there's, there's the kingdom of God. Yep, there's the kingdom. There's the kingdom. No, it happens in things that are small, slow, and hidden. So why does Jesus tell this story? Well, just think about our perception of how we naturally think God should work in our lives. Just like I was saying a moment ago, let's go. Let's take the kingdom and go. Let's take over the kingdom of this world with his kingdom. We're gonna knock down some walls. We want clear results. We want measurable impact in a short amount of time. If God is in this, then it should move big and fast and people will come from miles away to experience what is happening here. And Jesus says, no. If that's your idea of how God is going to work, then you will almost always miss the kingdom. As we know, the kingdom of God was not new language to Jesus's original audience. The original people that he was speaking to at this time, they were very familiar with this language, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, but what they had in mind when that time came was completely different. When the Messiah comes, in their mind, they're thinking he will come back and he will take back what is ours. He will gather all of our people again and he will eliminate our oppressors and it will be great and he will be conquering. This is what they are thinking and Jesus is actively combating this way of thinking as he tells them stories of the kingdom. He says, no, I know what you're thinking. I know what's in your mind right now, but it's like a mustard seed that you plant and you wait He's saying, no, I, I, I see the story that you're writing in your head. I see that story that you're writing, but that's not my story. The kingdom of God, it's like a little piece of dough hidden in the loaf. It's working, but you can't see it immediately. Os Guinness says this about the kingdom. He says, Jesus made clear the kingdom of God is organic and not organizational. It grows like a seed and it works like leaven, secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, and irresistibly. This lesson of Jesus, this theme is not just a one-time theme or lesson. He lived out his life this way. He lived out his mission this way, the story of his life. Jesus comes from a, a nothing small town called Nazareth. And we see the perception of what people think about Nazareth in one of the stories in the gospels. We see one of the disciples go to a friend and he's like, man, you gotta gotta come and follow this guy. This is is the one, this Jesus of Nazareth is the one. And he's like, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? And Jesus chooses to come from this place. He recruits fishermen and tax collectors to be his main crew. He spends a lot of time with people of ill repute, let's say. And the religious people of the, of the day, they really, they really like that. That makes them really happy about Jesus. He goes, Jesus goes out of his way to walk through a town that you didn't just walk through at the time. And he stops and talks to a woman at the well that was one of the lowest of lows in society. Jesus, with his words and actions, and for our context for today and for this series, the story that Jesus lived with his life says this, 
The kingdom of God does not appear when and where you expect it. And it does appear when and where you would never expect it. It looks like encounters at the shore, like dinner with tax collectors and sinners, like being intentional and stopping and taking the time for a conversation. This forces us to lay aside our own agenda for how we think God should operate and look with a new set of eyes at where God is actually at work. Do we have eyes to see? Some of us look at our life and say, where is God? If God was at work in this, in me, in this thing that I'm doing, then I should see this happening. Or if God was at work, then this should really not be happening. I do not see him anywhere. My question to you this morning is, do we have eyes to see? The kingdom of God is like a seed and yeast. This means that as followers of Jesus, that I have to learn to look with a new set of eyes, to learn to look for those small ways that the kingdom is working and is active. This is one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. He said, those who have eyes to see, let them see. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. This means not everyone is gonna get this. Not everyone is going to see what I'm trying to show you. I think I've, I've told this story before. I think I told it in a podcast, but at the very beginning of the pandemic of the COVID season, um, our family was home on a Sunday morning um, and not just any Sunday morning, we were home on Easter Sunday morning. And that was a wild trip, you know? And we had planned to do like a whole like, you know, service at home. Well, we're still gonna get up and we're still gonna get dressed and we're still gonna take pictures. But I was up before anybody else and, uh, made my coffee, sat on the front porch, and just like all these emotions were happening. I was processing the fact that I could not remember a time ever that I was home on an Easter Sunday morning, especially in my entire adult life, being in ministry and serving and doing the things. And part of me was like, this is kind of nice. It's like quiet and like really slow because normally it's like hectic and stressful. But then the other part of me, the majority of me was like, this is the worst thing that ever was, all right? Uh, we had just planted a church, you guys know this story, um, not that long ago, and we were, everything was building to Easter Sunday. Obviously, Easter Sunday is huge for our church, and um, we had a lot of things riding on that day, and then here I, we were at home, you know? And so I was at war with myself and just talking all this out, like, God, I don't know how to process this. I don't know what, what is going on here. I don't understand, and all of a sudden in my, like, conversation with the Lord, I began to notice um, in the house that we used to live across the street was um, a non-operating elementary school. And so it was empty, um, but there was a tree right in front of the school and the blossoms on this tree were just bright pink. They were just beautiful. And I just all of a sudden just kind of got lost in it. And it honestly in the moment looked like it was glowing. And I just kind of like got lost in the tree and all of a sudden I could start to hear the birds. It was like a Disney movie moment. I was like hearing the birds in a new way and it was like this whole thing. I just got lost in the beauty of this tree and I just felt the Holy Spirit so like clearly and sweetly say to me, I want to give you the joy of noticing. The joy of noticing. This tree was right across the street from my house. I had drove by it a lot of times and I had never noticed how beautiful it was at this time of year. 
I had never noticed it. And I knew that the Lord was giving me this word of like, I want to give you the joy of noticing how I'm actually at work. You see, the cost of control, the cost of control is I lose the joy of noticing how he's actually working. When all I can do is just hold on to the story that I had written. See, I wanted you to work in this way and then we would move from here to here and then here to here. You're not working within my five-year plan, God, and I need you to fix that, okay? And so I'm holding on, I'm gripping, and that cost of the control is I lose all of the joy and how he's moving, and I don't even notice, let alone have any joy. I'm not even noticing what he's doing, and he's inviting me in in this moment till I want to partner with you really and give you joy in the process. And so do we have eyes to see? Do we notice God at work in the seed and yeast of our daily lives? Or are we so fixed on being able to see big results that we actually miss what God is doing and what God is working and how he is active in our lives? It's so difficult though. It's easy to say it right now, but it's so difficult because our cultural inclination is to desire the big things because that is what we see celebrated and honored and cheered on and held up as a model to follow. Fast is good, slow is bad, big is healthy, slow mean, or small means something must not be working. Recognition and accolades are what we all desire. Doing the hidden things requires great discipline and no one will know. And so what's the fun in that if no one knows the good things that I'm doing? Don't act like you don't feel that way, all right? We all feel that way. And to illustrate this tendency, I'd like to break down two words for us this morning to kind of give us handles on how to take this. Impact versus influence. Impact versus influence. Impact, it's what we all desire. We want to impact those around us. We want to impact the world around us. But what exactly do we mean when we say we want to make an impact? I think there may be something subtle there just in that word or that phrase that we don't even realize affects the way that we see and the way that especially the way we measure our, quote, results Impact, especially in its verbal form, including the phrase that's favored by so many to impact the culture, has taken on a different meaning in recent years. Andy Crouch, in his recent book, The Life We're Looking For, observes this about impact. He says, until a generation ago, not only was impact never used as a verb, but it was used almost entirely in negative contexts. Impact denotes concentrated force over a short amount of time, and the laws of physics dictate that most impacts are unpleasant. Think natural disaster. Think tornado that sweeps through a Oklahoma town and leaves a mark where it would never be the same again. Impact feels percussive, the hit. It comes in strong and fast and leaves a mark. Now this is not to say that this sort of movement, that this sort of change doesn't ever happen and that it is always bad. That is not the case. This is not to say that God doesn't move in this way because he absolutely does at times. But if you look at the span of your life, I looked at the span of my life and I'm coming up on almost 38 years. When I look back on it, those moments that I would call impact, it's just a handful. Just a handful of those moments. 
Impact is a splash in the face, which can feel refreshing and can hit you right in the right moment at time, but it isn't a sustainable way to be refreshed and to be renewed. Influence, on the other hand, is a river running over rocks for a long amount of time. It forms and shapes and works the ground underneath it and molds it into something with continual movement, continual refreshment. Now, I realize that the word influence has kind of been hijacked a little bit in our media world to be an influencer. Um, In the online sense, that's not what I'm speaking about today, okay? So don't become an influencer out in the wild, get caught and be like, Rachel told me to do this, okay? This social influence is not what I'm talking about this morning. So what does influence look like? Little wordplay, little alliteration for you this morning. Influence looks like investing intelligently and intentionally investing intelligently and intentionally. When I'm thinking in terms of impact, I have the masses in mind, which means it must be depersonalized to a degree. What can impact, what can change or impact the most amount of people in the amount of time that I have uh, to give? What's the biggest bang for my buck, if you will? Influence is embodied. I only have so much capacity to invest intelligently and intentionally. And so it must turn to kind of a life on life situation. I'm thinking about the individual that I want to influence intelligently and intentionally. And I'm thinking about that person. Impact is a conference stage. Influence is a living room couch. Impact is a well-worded online post. Influence is intentional parenting. When an evangelist or a special speaker would come in and speak in our young pastoring days, they would almost always say a version of this. They would come to us about what what word would need to be to spoke about, to speak about, and they would say, they would make a joke about being able to come in and say the hard things, being able to come in and say the things that really need to be said because they could come in and then they were gone the next week. That has nothing to do with what they're saying or anything that they're saying is bad. It's just a completely different approach when you can come in and speak that way. Impact is a powerful word of a traveling evangelist. Influence is the faithful pastor speaking week in and week out. Impact is quick and usually comes with a flash. Influence is slow and usually comes with a mess. Bodie and I have spent our entire adult lives in ministry, most of those years uh, spent with teenagers. We have pastored hundreds of kids and preached countless sermons and stayed up an unholy amount of hours with lock-ins and special events and things. And now that we are old and a lot of the kids that we have pastored are old and now adults and have their own kids, um, we can look at those kids, all of the ones that we can kind of still track. And you wanna know what all of the kids that we have been able to stay in contact with, that we can see whether we're in day-to-day contact with them or not. We can see the fruit of the ministry that, and the life that we lived with them. We can still see it today in their adult life. You know, wanna know what they all have in common? They were the kids that joined us in our everyday life. They were the ones that were at our house all the time, most of the time not invited and just there. They had their own blankets uh, for couch naps. Um, we had inside jokes. We shaved mohawks in the backyard. Uh, we had uh, freezer corn dogs that end up turning into pets over time. Uh, 
you can't make this stuff up, guys. That's true. I have a picture of it. I should have gave it to you guys. But they saw our laundry and our dirty toilets, and they watched us discipline our kids. They were the ones that came from hard places that ended up calling us mom and dad over time. Did we have moments of impact with them? Absolutely. We took them to camp every single year. Camp is an impact moment. It is absolutely powerful and God moves in powerful ways. But camp, the high from camp, it won't last. It won't last if you don't have anything else with it. The rest of the time, when you look at a day in the life of a pastor, youth pastor, student ministry, a week in the life, man, it looks like, is anything happening? Is anything working? But in looking back on it now, it was not, it, there was nothing fancy about it. But it turns out the not fancy, that's what stuck. That's what stuck. Do we have eyes to see the slow work of God in our lives? I want to go back to our kingdom parable one last time to show you my favorite part. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. The kingdom is like a seed, and although it may start small, the lasting effects have a way of multiplying. When cultivated right, the story of our life, it may look simple, as I said, when you just look at a day in a life of carting kids around or punching a clock and going to work, or you look at a week in a life, it may look simple. It may not look like anything is going on, but measured over a lifetime, if done well, if done intentionally and living a life of influence, influence just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's like looking at the growth of your kids you're with them day to day, day in and day out. You don't notice really how they're growing. And then you take back to school pictures and you're feeling all in your feelings. And so you're looking back at last year's back to school picture and you're like, they're a completely different human being now. How did this happen? Their cheeks, they were so plump last year and now they're not anymore. You know, they lose that baby face. It's like, how did that happen? I didn't even see it happen. And look how much they've grown. That's what it looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives. Most of the time, we don't even realize what's happening unless we're actively saying, God, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see how you're working. Influence just keeps growing and growing. That seed becomes a tree that other living things can come and find rest and refuge and shade in and under. That is the ultimate vision and hope for my life. I am well aware that I speak on stages. I'm literally speaking from one right now. And I pray that my words, these words, I pray throughout the week that they would have impact on your life. That what something that I say would spark a change in you and that would maybe carry on into your everyday life. I pray that, I believe that that can happen. But ultimately, I want to live a life of influence that looks simple and messy and I have good days and bad days and victories and I also have to ask for forgiveness. It looks like living the way and teaching the way of Jesus from this stage, but also from my kitchen. 
and standing around my island with my kids and their friends and all of the people that are in and out of our house on a week to week basis. And ultimately growing a tree with my life that my kids and their kids and their kids can find rest and refuge under the wisdom and the influence that my little surrendered seed grew over a lifetime. Do we have eyes to see the slow work of God in our lives? Stand with me this morning. Let's prepare our communion elements as we come to the table together. Jesus, prepare our hearts as we come to the table to receive all that you have for us. As we come to the table to remember all that you've done for us. As we hold this bread in our hand that we know represents your body that was broken for us on the cross, we thank you. We remember and we thank you that you were broken so that we can be made whole. We reflect, we remember, and we are grateful this morning. Thank you for your body. Let's take the bread together. As we hold this cup that we know represents your blood that was shed for us on the cross, your blood that covers us, that washes us. That we are now covered by the blood of the lamb. Wash over us with that realization today. Fill us with gratitude as we remember. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Let's take the cup together. Thank you.
If you would just close your eyes with me for just a moment. I just want to take a moment to reflect. Give Holy Spirit a chance to give you the joy of noticing how God is at work in your life. give us eyes to see all that you are doing give us eyes to see God may we be a people that is not only seeking after the big flashy things, but we, are sur- we surrender our whole lives, not sectioned out in pieces, but our whole lives to you, to work and to grow and to cultivate as you see fit. We offer everything up to you, our coming and our going. And Lord, as we do, would you give us eyes to see? Place inside those individuals here standing today the joy of noticing you at work. We don't want to miss it. It's too good. We don't want to miss it. these lives represent and what you're growing in each and every one of us. You're so good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Prayer team, if you would make your way down to the front. If you have something that you would like to agree with someone else, partner in prayer with together this morning. Um, These lovely human beings are down here um, to do that. So on your way out, you can just find one of them and they would love to to pray with you. A few announcements before you go. If you're a first time guest in the room, thank you so much for coming. We're so happy that you are here with us today. If you would... Stop by the welcome area right across the lobby. Um, Our lead pastors, Matt and Lindsay Nelson, would love to meet you and just to give you a free gift as a way of saying thank you for coming and joining with us. Dinner with the staff is tomorrow night. Um, So if you have not come to a dinner with the staff yet, if you are fairly new or if you just never have come to one of these, then this is a good step for you. So sign up, join us tomorrow night for a free dinner and just to hear how City Church started and where we believe that God is taking us. Um, So you can find all that info on cc.guide and sign up and join us tomorrow night. Um, And last thing, if you have your cards um, that uh, we prayed over and filled out and all of that, if you have those, you can drop them in either of the boxes on your way out.
And that is it. Um, let's end our, with our mission statement and go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. Have a blessed week.